Hi, my name is Stephen Luna. I'm the lead pastor of MWC Church. We're so glad you chose to join us for this podcast. My prayer is that it would be a blessing in helping you grow closer to Jesus and help you grow in your faith. Enjoy this week's sermon. We still have that fish. His name is Zimbabwe. He's a good, he's a good fish. Uh, I think Chris comes in on Monday and Tuesday on our days off, and he, he walks them in the field, he said. So he's, he's a good fish. He's a great fish. We're so thankful for him. Hey, how many, how many of you are excited for Thanksgiving? Come on, be honest. You know, we're, we're all ready to eat that ham, yams, potatoes, whatever that's, that, I want to learn that song. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's all right. Just figure it out sometime. Uh, man, I'm so excited for Thanksgiving. They just released that um, green bean casserole is the Amer- America's least favorite dish. And is anyone outraged by that? Yeah, there, there's a lot of outrage. I, I don't care. I don't care. Uh, I, I was one of those Americans who said, no, nope, it's, my, it's my least favorite dish. I, I think it's because at every funeral I, I've ever had to lead, there's always green bean casserole. So whenever, I, I think it's just like those just traumatic experience that, I, that, I, that I've kind of like associated green bean casserole with death. So I just like stay away from green bean casserole. But, but I'm so excited for Thanksgiving. And, and as that date approaches, as we get closer to, to Thanksgiving, I, I'm thankful that we're in this series called The Thank Tank, where we have already said that if we were to look at our lives, figuratively speaking, each and every one of us are a reservoir or a tank, if you will. And, and we have the responsibility to either fill our lives with thankfulness or spill thankfulness. Either we can fill, be filled up with thankfulness or we can entirely miss altogether and not be thankful at all. But I'm fully convinced that not only does, does God wants us to fill our lives with thankfulness, but he has also designed you and created you to be someone who overflows with thankfulness. Everybody say overflow. Colossians 2, we've been reading this. This is the, the verse that we are launching from. Let's read this together one more time. It says this, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And as a result, you will overflow with thankfulness. Overflowing thankfulness is a result or should be a result of knowing Jesus. In fact, we have said this, that there are behaviors and attitudes that we can either take on that will either empty us of thankfulness or they can overflow us with thankfulness. Some of those attitudes that we have been bringing up, the first one we talked about a couple weeks ago is praise. We have said, we define praise to literally mean this. When we look it up in scripture, praise means to ascribe honor and worth. That that means God, whose value does not change, is always worthy of honor and praise. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Therefore, he is always worthy of honor and praise. No matter what is happening in our situations, no matter what circumstances we may be facing, Jesus is always worthy of praise. And if you become, if you say, I'm going to be someone that praises God no matter what's happening, even if there's tears in my eyes, even if I have to fall to my knees out of frustration, or even in those moments where I just don't feel like it because I'm kind of tired, I'm, I'm going to do the difficult thing and say, nope, God, you are worthy of praise. I'm going to praise you. We don't praise on our emotions. We praise because of reality, and the reality remains, he is victorious. He is a God who is deserving of all we can give him. Amen? So we've said praise. That's going to help us overflow with thankfulness. We also said restraint, learning to say no to some things so that we can say yes to God things, that God has, is not just some, he's not a cosmic, tyrannical God who's just trying to ruin your life and say you can't have fun and you better not go there and you better, you better not experience this and, and you better stop. Like, like God is not a God who, who wants to ruin our lives and, and strip us of every fun thing that we could ever dream or imagine. Some people, including myself at one point, identified with that. I, I stayed away from God because I was like, man, that looks boring. But here's the reality. The closer and closer I got to God, And the more I made myself available to to see him and to know his character, I began to realize something. The things he tells me to say no to is so that I can say yes to something better. It's so that I can open up my life to something greater. 
So we have said that is the behavior of restraint, learning to say no. And the beautiful thing is that he gives us the Holy Spirit that enables us and partners with us to to learn to say no and to trust him more and more. He is so good. But then we also said this, contentment. Everybody say contentment. Last week we talked about this. We said contentment is freedom from worry or concern because of an overwhelming satisfaction with what you already possess. And I'm convinced, convinced of this. Once you have learned that God has taken possession of you, that you belong to him, and once you have already posited in your heart to say, man, I, I belong to Jesus, and, and I, I am his, and, and he is mine, when, when you are rooted with that reality, you begin to understand that everything else is secondary. That that car in my driveway, the, the dream house I've always desired, that job that I've been hunting for, like, like all of that, whether it comes or it goes, God remains the same. I am content because I'm overwhelmingly satisfied with who he is and who he calls me to be. Amen. It's a difficult thing, but it's a reality. And sometimes we got to tell our feelings how to feel. Sometimes, like some people are like, oh, I'm just going to follow my heart. Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. Lead your heart into truth. And there's times where I gotta say, Lord, if I'm, if I'm discontent, it's because I haven't got close to you yet. I, 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 need, I need to wake up and get closer and draw closer to you. And, and he's, he's, he's a good God. He says this, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. He's faithful. He's faithful. Today, we're taking on our fourth, everybody say four. We're taking on our fourth uh, uh, behavior and it's encouragement encouragement. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, as we jump into this, this topic of encouragement, I pray, Lord, that your words would, would just jump out of, 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 your, of your word, Lord. I pray that these, these texts that we're going to read about in the Bible would just be, be leading us into all truth. I pray that Jesus would be honored and glorified. Father, we pray that you would encourage us today. I pray that as we talk about this, it wouldn't be just a behavior we pursue, but I pray that it is understood and realized that you are our encourager, that you are our strength, that you are our everything. We love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, show of hands, okay, like, let's, let's be honest here. Who, as a kid, has ever been bullied? Who's ever been bullied? And anybody, uh, if you're not raising your hand, that means that you are probably the bully, a bully. <laughs> so you may, you may know this phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Words will never hurt me. The biggest lie my mama ever told me. Biggest lie my mama ever told me. Uh, if you didn't fill in that role or, or that blank, it's probably because you were the bully too and, and you were never told that. Your mama never had to tell you that because you were the one who was throwing words and sticks and stones. But we've all heard that phrase, uh, sticks and stones and break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But the reality is this, that, that, that's not true. I mean, you just have to be a middle schooler to come to understand that that is a lie. That is a fraud. That is a lie from the enemy, right? Uh, the, the reality is this, sticks and stones may break my, bur- my bones, but, but words will cut me deep. Deeply. Words cut deeply. Words are powerful. In fact, there was a, a, a case study that took place in, in Harvard Medical uh, in 2010. They said that young adults from the ages of 18 to 25 with zero history of domestic violence, sexual abuse, or parental physical abuse, so, so they, they, they had a, a relatively good upbringing, were asked to rate their childhood exposure to parental and peer verbal abuse, bullying in, in some respect, when they were children. And then they were given a brain scan. The results revealed that those individuals who reported experiencing verbal abuse from their peers during middle school years had underdeveloped connections between the left and right sides of their brain through the massive bundle of connecting fibers called the corpus callosum. So essentially, what this one thing that was revealed from this case study was that when, when somebody is the, is the victim of verbal abuse at an age of adolescence, their brain cannot develop at the rate that it needs to. That there is something happening at the biological level as a result of verbal abuse. In fact, they took this even further and they said this psychological tests were given to all subjects. And the study showed that this same group of individuals who experienced the worst amount of verbal abuse had higher levels of anxiety, depression, anger, hostility, dissociation, and drug abuse than others in the case study. 
Essentially, as a result of this test, it was proven what we already know to be common sense, and it's this. Our words are powerful. What we say is powerful. What we don't say can be just as powerful, but there is power in our words. You know, there was a, I love everybody in this church. Uh, I, I've, I, I've come to understand that God loves me, that there are times when I mess up and I fail and I'm not even worthy of his presence and yet he still comes to me, he comforts me, he loves me. Uh, and if God came to me before and loved me before I was doing anything good, uh, then that means that we as recipients of that kind of love and grace need to be individuals that look at everyone and say, man, I love you. Regardless of how you're behaving, I, I love you. I, I, I may not approve of that, but man, I'm, I'm gonna throw my arms around you and, and, you're, and you're mine. Like you're my, you're my buddy, I'm gonna love you. I'm a recipient of that kind of grace and, and I pray that I can show that same kind of grace. But the reality remains that there are individuals who may not see eye to eye with me on, on many positions. We just talked about a green bean casserole. Some of you are like, oh, I love it. I wanna eat it all the time, all right? Like, like there are different positions and even politically there are things that some of us may agree on and things that we may disagree on and we come from different stripes and and we are living in times where it's easy to get uh, entrenched into your own camp of thinking and and surround yourself with with, what sociologists consider an echo chamber just filling yourself with people who who think the same way and then you're you're told and and, and led to believe that anybody who is in the opposition should be held as as an adversary you should keep them at an arm's length and and they're the bad guys and and I at some point uh, maybe I didn't fall into that way of thinking I've always loved people but there came a point when when there was a word that was common in my vocabulary, and the moment it came out, I was utterly convicted. Just, ooh, just hit me. You ever have that conviction where it hits your side, and you're just like, oh, what was that? Like, it was, it was the Holy Spirit just convicting you? Well, there was a time when, I, I'm just going to use this word now. I'm not calling anybody this, so don't get offended. Um, but there was a time when I, would, when I would just frivolously use the word snowflake. Oh, it's a horrible word. Like, don't, don't condemn me now. But, but essentially, the word snowflake is intended to, to, to it's, it's, a, it's a demeaning, derogatory word that is intended to say someone is ultra-sensitive. You know how a snowflake hits the ground and just melts instantly. It's, it's, it's the same thing emotionally. A person just, just melts. And, and while I'm not saying it's good to be someone who is ultra-sensitive, sensitivity is good, but being ultra-sensitivity isn't good, I, I began to just, there was a time I was meeting with somebody and we were having coffee and we were talking about a political position and, and, and I began to say the word snowflake and I had one of those moments where the Lord like hit my side and, and I instantly heard the Holy Spirit say this, There were people that I disagreed with in scripture, the Pharisees. Not once did I ever call them a snowflake. Not once did I ever demean them or speak derogatory words against them. Yes, I disagreed, but there was never a single moment, if we were to study the life of Jesus, that he ever demeaned an individual that he disagreed with. In fact, if we were to look at the life of Jesus, we see that regarding the Pharisees, specifically those that he disagreed with, in many ways, they agreed theologically, but they disagreed in how to practice their theology. Jesus ate in the Pharisees' homes. He taught them. He corrected them. He rebuked them. He silenced them and even expressed frustration with them. But never once did he demean or personally attack them, even while they physically were crucifying him and striking him. I felt the Lord was saying to me that we... And I myself need to guard the words that I use. And that just because culture and society is quick to use them, we need to be, as as believers in Jesus, need to say, Lord, should I be talking like this? Or or how would you treat an individual? So, so, man, I I was instantly convicted of that, and and, and I was faced with this reality that there is power in our words. In fact, your words are so powerful, your mouth is so powerful that James says this in James chapter 3, one of the most practical portions in scripture. He says this, a bit, everybody say a bit, it's literally the the small, maybe six-inch mechanism that is placed underneath the tongue of a horse. It says this, a bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on the back of a ship, on a huge ship, in the hands of a skilled captain, sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word 
I mean, I mean, what he's saying is that the smallest thing can control the largest thing. And he says this, a word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By your speech, we can ruin the world. Turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and and even go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. You you can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. I'm just going to say this. He's not saying that we can't control our tongues. He's not saying, well, if you're always going to curse like a sailor because your mom cursed like a sailor, so you're always going to do it. No, no. What he's saying is this. He gets to the further point later on in the chapter. Although we may not be able to tame a tongue, the Lord can definitely transform a tongue. So don't just say, well, I'm, you know, I always talk this way. It's always, no, no, no. The Lord can transform He can transform. So he's saying this, you may not be able to tame it, but the Lord can transform it. It's never been done. The tongue runs like a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God, our Father. I mean, how many of you love worshiping the Lord? How many of you are thankful that we can come into a church and and just come in and and just experience the presence and the freedom of God and worship him? But, But here James is saying, with our tongues, we bless God, our Father, with the same tongues. We curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. The next verse says this, brothers and sisters, this cannot and should not be. Our tongue is powerful. The words that come out of our mouth are powerful. In fact, if you were to look at at Psalm or Proverbs 18, verse 21, it, it literally says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. There is power in our words. Death or life. One or the other, we choose. We choose. You know, interesting in love, interestingly enough, I, I, I look at, at Genesis and I see that when God created all things, what did he create everything with? His words, his mouth. He spoke all things into creation. In fact, if we're going to be honest, the only thing that he fashioned with his hands was humanity. But everything else, through the power of his word, he spoke all things. He spoke and there was the sun. He spoke and, and there was the earth and, and there was a separate, like, I mean, just beauty, beauty right there with the words of God. And to some lesser degree, you and I have the ability to either speak life or death. We can either speak life the way our God in heaven did or, or speak death. Not to the same degree, but to a similar degree. So my main idea, the aim for us today is to increase our think tank by taking control of our words. And specifically speaking, to increase with words of encouragement. Everybody say encouragement. Encouragement. If we were to look up the Webster's definition of this, it would say that it is the action of giving someone support confidence or hope it's a it's a good definition i think sometimes in our culture if we were to look at our culture and ask what does encouragement mean they may give some some synonyms that may not be so synonymous with the actual definition of encouragement i think sometimes our culture confuses uh encouragement with niceness how many of you are thankful for living in kansas right how many of you know that kansas is just kansas kind we'll just look at people and smile with their eyes I'll go back to Chicago. In fact, I'm going back for, uh, for Thanksgiving. And, and I remember the first time I went back to Chicago after living here in this beautiful state of Kansas. And I'm just looking at people and just smiling with my eyes. And everyone's like, what's wrong with this dude? Like, like is it, I, I saw them grab their wallets in person, hold them tight. Like, is this guy about to mug me or what? Like, Kansas kind. Everybody's just so kind in Kansas. I remember the first time we moved here and I'm unpacking the, you know, packing the truck and, and neighbors are just, hey, neighbor. I'm like, hey, man, don't look in my van. Stop. You're going to steal stuff, right? Like I had that Chicago with me. So, but sometimes I believe we have confused encouragement with niceness. Like, like if, if you say something that's not nice, you're not encouraging. And can I just say this, that some of the most encouraging moments in my life came from coaches and mentors and teachers and pastors who were not so nice in what they were saying. Now, they delivered it in truth. They delivered it in, in love and concern. And there was friendship and relationship there. But don't confuse kindness with encouragement. Sometimes encouragement is saying, bro, you're being dumb. 
wising up. Like, you know, like, like if you've got the relationship, don't go to someone you don't know and be like, you're being dumb and slap them. That's just not, that's not encouraging, right? Uh, rules without relationship always equals rebellion. So we need that relationship aspect. But some of the, the greatest moments of encouragement came from people that didn't convey it so nicely. There was some truth and love. Um, don't confuse encouragement with approval. Oh, my goodness. I think this is the, the most frustrating aspect of our culture for me personally, that, that if, if you even disagree with someone that you no longer like them, that you, that you hate them, that you want nothing to do with them, we have con- construed encouragement to mean approval. If you, only if you approve of the way someone is living and acting and behaving that, that you are encouraging. And the moment you, 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 you voice any opposition that you are no longer encouraging, you're no longer kind. No, don't confuse approval with encouragement. You can speak something disapprovingly, but do so with love and do so with respect and do so with care and do so prayerfully. Lastly, I would say people have confused encouragement with correction. I know I just said the opposite of those, niceness, approval, but also correction. Uh, don't be the kind of person that runs up to someone and says, I'm just trying to encourage you. You're being stupid. Like, like don't, don't, don't do that. There, there's a, there's a, a way. Everybody say the word tact. God, there is a spiritual gift of tactness, tactfulness, and God wants us to go with tact. In fact, even Jesus, when he was sending out the, the 77, remember what he says? I am sending you out, be as shrewd as serpent and as innocent as doves. You ever see a dove? They're cute. They're innocent. I think sometimes you guys reverse that, and you're as shrewd as doves and as innocent as serpents, and God is saying, nope, don't do it that way. Use tact. Use tact, use tact. So encouragement is this. I would, I would say the biblical definition, if we were, in fact, I, 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 I did a word study on, on the word encouragement. It's parakaleo. Every single time we see the word encouragement or exhortation or comfort, it is, it is the word or the root word of parakaleo. In fact, one thing that I found beautiful is that word parakaleo is also a root word that we, are, that we use in scripture to describe the Holy Spirit. He is the parakalete. He is the comforter, he is the encourager, and he calls us to be encouragers as well. Parakaleo literally means this, to run to the side of another, to run to the side of another in order to improve comfort or advise them. We have any runners in this place? Anybody who's ever run a, a 5K, a marathon? Uh, man, God bless you, I can't stand running. I can't stand it. I've played soccer my whole life, and I still dread running. In fact, I tell myself I'm going to run, and I don't. I just, like, think about running. So that, that's my relationship with running. I think about running a lot. Um, but but I, I, I did a, I did, I've done a couple races, and one particularly, I remember the fastest race I've ever ran is when I had a friend come alongside me and run the entire way. I mean, I literally was knocking minutes off of my, of my mile because I had someone to run alongside me, to set the pace, to say, we can keep going. You may feel if you were alone that you could run at this pace, but the moment I come alongside you, I will pace you even faster to run to the side of another in order to improve comfort or advise them. Listen, we need people in this world who are gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna run to the side of people. Whenever there is someone who is in distress, whenever there is someone who is lacking comfort, whenever there is someone who is in need of of sound wisdom and advice and someone to point them to Jesus, I will be that person. We need encouragers in this day and age. Encouragement is the attitude that literally says, I am where I will be my brother's keeper. I will be my sister's keeper. Encouragement is the attitude that says, I am going to come alongside someone. And it is the most biblical and spiritual thing you can do to say, I'm going to come alongside you. Literally, you are acting like the paraclete. You're acting like the Holy Spirit when you say, I'm going to come alongside of you. One of the most beautiful examples I've seen of encouragement recently happened in a college basketball game. There I was. I, I saw something happen. And, and you know how you, you guys know like when you go to church and God just does something and you just can't control the emotions and the waterworks just come running down? Well, I had church watching a college basketball game one time because I just saw an act so beautiful that it was just like, oh, holy, like the Holy Spirit is like, again, punched me in the side, but this time I cried. Uh, but I, 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 wanted, I want you to watch this video really quick. Kind of the story of, of, of 
with two minutes left in the game. UCLA was down by two. Center Moses Brown had the ball, and he was dribbling up the court, setting up a play, because now we've got big men who are setting up plays for some reason because it's no longer basketball. We'll be back to the story. But they're coming down, he's dribbling on the court, and, 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 he, and he passes the ball, and it's behind the point guard. And, and like everyone's like, oh, man, we, we, we should have tied it up here. And, and Moses Brown, I mean, I mean, you see this image of him, instant, instantaneous, just, just disappointment, frustration. He just lost the game for his team probably. And he just, he just, his whole demeanor, shoulders, head, everything goes down. And what I love is, is that we have his, his friend, Jalen Hands, who was the guy who was trying to receive the pass, who sees his friend when he is at his worst point. And, and you know what? If there is anybody who is deserving of receiving ridicule or frustration, it, it he messed up. He clearly messed up the play. Like, it made sense to, to be angry and upset with him, but, but what I love is Jalen Hands. He walks over to his buddy, Brown. He puts his hand on his shoulder, physically lifts up his chin, and tilts his head back where it belonged. I mean, I, I love this. Thankfully, it was just what Brown and his teammates needed. In the end, the team would rally together to overcome a nine-point deficit, winning the game 87-84. to 84. And I, and I can almost guarantee you that it all was sparked because of one act of encouragement. Today, I'm here to tell you that victory starts when encouragers get up. When encouragers lift up the chins of other people whose, whose shoulders and demeanor is down, to come alongside someone and lift up the chin is one of the most godly things you can do. And listen, the reason why... He was an encourager. The reason why Hans was able to, to lift up the chin of his brother Brown, the reason why an encourager can run to the side of another person even after a time of great disappointment and failure is because they have placed a value on that person that is worth more than that person's performance. Encouragement only happens when you have learned to see people as more valuable than their performance. That is where encouragement is rooted. And when you say, yeah, they may have played this way or they may have acted this way, but I have placed a value that is greater than the way they behave, greater than the way they act, and I see them as a person who was made in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, no matter what they do, I will always elevate who they are over what they have done. That is the heart of an encourager. You know, before I came to Jesus, there was a a relatively, a 10-point scale that I would use. Previously, I would only speak positively or encouragingly about a person when they would hit an eight, a nine, or a 10. Like, I would say everybody starts at a zero, and, and according to how they behave, they, they work up, you know? Um, they, they, maybe somebody bought me a coffee. Automatically, you're like at a 9.9. Like, you're already up there. Man, I'm gonna encourage you. Thank you so much for all that, right? So everyone started at zero and had to perform enough to earn my approval and earn my positive words of encouragement. But now, every single person I have come to meet no longer starts at zero. I have learned to put a greater value on a person simply because they are a person and less on their ability to perform. Now there is no chart, and I aim to be an encourager with everyone and towards everyone. Listen, if you struggle with encouragement, it's because you have placed a greater value in a person's ability to perform than you have on them simply being a person. Now, what enables us? What enables us to get rid of that chart and instantaneously put people at a nine and 10 and say, man, you're starting from, from this. You're deserving of my encouragement. I'm gonna say it's only when you've been a recipient of that kind of encouragement. And I'm not saying the encouragement from one friend to another. I'm talking about the encouragement of Jesus. When we see in Romans chapter five, verse eight, the greatest act of encouragement we have ever seen. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, and you and I were negative a million on that chart, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice how it doesn't say when we started behaving and performing better and when the world was at its greatest point, when we were the most altruistic version of ourselves, when we were the most faithful and humanitarian versions of ourselves, then Christ came for humanity. No, he says when we were still 
enemies. We were still sinners of God. He came for us. Because I have been a recipient of, of grace, the greatest act of encouragement, because I've been a recipient of what Christ has accomplished, I therefore can look at everyone and say, I'm no greater than you. You don't start at a zero and have to work your way up to a 10 to earn my grace or earn my, my encouragement. You already start at 10 because God has received me when I was at less than a million. He is faithful, he is good. Something beautiful that struck me yesterday. In fact, my wife asked me afterwards, why didn't you say anything? Like, like what was going on? Well, a really quick story. Yesterday, uh, I, was, I was having a serious conversation with a member in our church on Saturday night, right before our Saturday night service, and we were just talking, and my wife came up to me. She's just so cute. Everybody give it up for my wife. She's awesome. I love her. But she came up to me yesterday. She hates me for this. But she came up to me yesterday, uh, right before service. She's like, hey, I made you a coffee. And I was like, oh, thanks. She's made me coffee before. She's like, I just figured I'd be an A-plus wife. And I said, babe, you started, you woke up this morning and you were already an A-plus wife. I know, that's cute, isn't it? It was like the cutest thing I've said. You guys better give credit where credit deserves, right? But, but, but that's, that's encouragement. When you know someone already starts at a place of, of a 10, an A-plus, and you're saying, I'm just gonna add on to that. Encouragement, saying your performance is, is less than your value that I see you as a person. God placed a value on us that outweighs our performance. It's called grace. When you receive it, it becomes easier to give it. When you receive the greatest act of encouragement, the greatest act of grace that has literally saved us, you can learn to become an encourager. So today the title, uh, or the few remaining moments, I'm gonna say this. This is the, the the final moments that we have together. I wanna talk about the art of lifting chins. The art of chin lifting. Before I do, though, I need to confess. How many, man, don't, don't, if anyone wants to be a preacher in this place, just, just, I mean, do it. But I feel like every single time I preach on something, the Lord convicts me on something like, like the same, at the same exact time. As I was preparing and studying for this, for this topic of uh, encouragement, um, I, I realized how discouraging I was in a certain situation. If you follow me on social media, you, you'll see that um, I had not one, not two, but three different points this week where I was just frustrated with the fact that uh, our new baseball team is called the Wichita Wind Surge. The Wichita wind surge. I was, I was so excited. I mean, I would have taken the doodahs over the Wichita wind surge. I mean, they, we had the Wichita linemen. The Wichita 29ers are cool. Like, there's, there's so many cool names. And then, and then like, I, I, was, I was so excited. I, I'm a huge fan of baseball. I, I've gone to so many baseball games in my life. I love baseball. It's just America's pastime. It's fun. You know, snacks. You can talk to your buddies or you can watch the game. It's a great time. Uh, but, but we... I, I was so excited. I was even watching the live reveal of the name. I was excited to see the logo because I'm a graphic designer. I love that stuff. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see it. And, and then they revealed it. And I was just like, oh, it's completely like underwhelmed. And I was, just, I was honestly, I was frustrated. And then I thought I was the only one. And I, I looked at social media and everyone is frustrated. In fact, there is a, a, a on change.org, there is a um, there's a petition and over like 8,000 people have already signed it to change the name of the Wichita Wind Surge. And I was very discouraging. Like I was just like, oh, this is a dumb name. Let's re- Everyone grab your torch and pitchforks. We're running downtown and we're just gonna light this place ablaze. Like I was just so frustrated. I was so discouraging. And as I was preparing and reading texts about encouragement and reading about how encouraging Jesus was and how he never spoke an ill word against the Pharisees, he did so in love even when he did. Like, I was, I was just so convicted. So I'm like, you know what, Lord? I want to be an encourager. So I went out. And Katie, if you can hand me that, that red bag right there. I went out and uh, I, I went downtown and I bought myself a Wichita Wind Surge hat. And I, and I have vowed... I have vowed to be an encourager of the Wichita wind surge. I, w- I will be a fan. I won't be discouraging anymore. <laughs> so I just had to get that out of the way. I don't, I don't want to be a discourager. In fact, even as I was walking out the store with, with my son, August, the, the guy was like, yeah, go wind surge. And I'm like, go, go wind surge. <laughs> like it, it's it's going to take some time. But I, I'm going to be an encourager. And it may be silly. It may be something small. But how many of you know God doesn't want us to just be people who, who walk in encouragement? He's called us to be encouragers, encouragers. In fact, I would say my first point is this. We must go from being, encouragement must go from being what you do to becoming who you are. 
God doesn't just want encouragement to come from your tongues. He has called you to be an encourager, to live a life of encouragement. In fact, if we were to survey the New Testament and we were to ask ourselves the question, who was the greatest encourager that we could see or who was one of the the best encouragers we can see right under Jesus? Because, I mean, this is like a perfect Sunday school answer. The answer to every single question is always Jesus. Like, who's the best? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Jesus. But right under Jesus... Who would you say it is? How many would say it's Paul? Okay, cool. How many say Peter? Who would say Peter's a great encourager? Someone's like shaking their head no, like, you know, you know, you know that guy. Uh, how, how many would say Titus? How many, how, many would, how many would say, okay, here's the answer. Barnabas. Barnabas, somebody that we, we hardly even recognize. In fact, here, here's what it says about the individual named Barnabas. In Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37, it says this, Joseph we say, Joseph, his name is Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Imagine being so good at something that they name you that. They're just like, hey, I don't even care what your name is, Mike. You're now going to be like the encourager. Like, this is literally what happened to Barnabas. They, they named him the son of encouragement. He was so encouraging, it says here, that he sold a field that he owned and and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. He knew that there was needs in the church, and he's like, you know what? This is a plot of land I really don't need. I'm going to go ahead and sell this, and and let's meet the needs of the believers here in Jerusalem. Barnabas was a son of encouragement, a son of encouragement. He was so encouraging that it became his identity. Oh, that we would be people whose identity is encouragement that we would be ourselves little Barnabases. Encouragement causes you to believe and see the best in people even when others refuse. Encouragement is the ability to see the best in people even when others refuse. An example we see of this in Barnabas' life is if what was during the life of Saul and Paul. They were both contemporaries. They lived at the exact same time. Saul, who became, later would become Paul, if you study the origin story of Paul, uh, it's a pretty graphic story. I mean, it's a really, I mean, they need to make a movie out of this. But Saul was, who also was known as Paul, Saul was someone who hated Christians. In fact, Saul uh, was the one who instigated the, the murder of the first Christian, Stephen. The people who were stoning him were placing their jackets and cloaks at the feet of Saul, and he stood back approvingly. To place your cloak at the feet of someone was to say, um, uh, it's, it's almost like an honor to say you would approve of this. You're approving of this. So he sat back there and he approved of the murder of Stephen, the first Christian. Saul even imprisoned and persecuted Christians. In fact, the reason why Jerusalem, uh, the church in Jerusalem had to, had to split and go in different places was because of the persecution led by Saul. Here we see in verse 8, it says here, Saul approved of their killing him, him being Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. People, some say, during this diaspora, there was over 2,000 people in the body of Christ alone who were uprooted from this act of persecution. I mean, this is more than just saying a few nasty words on Facebook. I mean, this was literal persecution. Everyone was scattering throughout Judea, Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison simply for being Christians. In fact, Saul wanted to kill Christians everywhere. As they began to disperse, we find out in Acts chapter 9 that Saul went and got papers to find Christians anywhere. It says here in Acts 9, 1, 3, it says here, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, meaning any Christians, any followers of Jesus, he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. I mean, this guy was an anti-Christ. He was an adversary of all Christians. 
But then he gets saved on his way to Damascus. He gets those papers, and he's on that 150-mile journey, the same distance from here to Oklahoma City. He's, he's on his way, and as, as he's on his way, he has a beautiful encounter with God. Jesus comes, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and, and he's like, oh, my Lord. Like He realizes that he's talking to, to Jesus, and, and the beauty of Christ begins to, to just blind him, and he develops scales, and he, and he can't see, and he needs the help of another to, to lead him to where he's going, and he's just praying and fasting and trying to figure out what's going on, and Ananias comes, another Christian, and he's like, dude, you, I know you want to kill me, but, and he's like, no, 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 I'm changed. Like, I, I've seen the light. I've seen the truth. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, and he gets baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins preaching. People are getting saved left and right, and, and you know what? His reputation never left him. Although he had been transformed and changed, his reputation continued to follow him. He goes back to Jerusalem where the church leaders are at. And he tries to to come in and say, I'm a Christian now. I'm one of you. High fives all around. Like a Kanye West moment. He's like, listen, I'm saved now. And, and, and what did the church do? They did what a lot of Christians are doing about Kanye. And they're like, let's wait and see how this plays out. And yet no one's waited and seen how, how your life plays out. But we do that to other Christians. I don't know why or how. But other Christians began doing that to Saul. They're like, ah, I, I saw what you did to my daddy. You threw him in prison. You murdered Stephen. We, we saw it all. But here's the mark of an encourager. In Acts chapter 9, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, we see it here. When Saul, when he, Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement, took him and brought him to the apostles, literally ran to the side of Saul and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now, we know simply by studying the text that Barnabas did not physically see Paul do any of that. He didn't see it. He wasn't there. In fact, Barnabas was preaching in the exact opposite direction already. But here he saw someone who was trying to improve themselves, someone who was now a follower of Jesus. And Barnabas ran to the side and said, I'll come to your defense. I'll encourage you when no one else does. Let's, let's, go, let's go to the apostles. And I believe today it is so easy to do the opposite. It's so easy to to join the crowd of of individuals who are throwing stones at people's character. It's it's honestly almost like this is where we we find greater acceptance to completely desecrate the, the character and the name, the integrity of other people. It's so easy to gossip. It's just it just rolls off the tongue. But it is a mark of a true spirit-filled believer to say, I'm not going to be a part of that, and I'm going to speak words of life. I'm going to encourage. But you, but you don't know, that I'm, I'm going to encourage. Yeah, but if you really think, of, I'm, I'm going to encourage. I'm going to come to the side of someone, and I'm going to encourage. You're not called to just be someone who uses words of encouragement. You are called to be an encourager. Every single one of us are called to be small Barnabases. And you know what's cool? I end with this. Encouragement or chin lifting is a superpower that causes others to do powerful things. I mean, think about this. You ever play that game when you were a kid? If you could have any superpower, what would you have? And some of, like, Normal people are like, flight. And the creeps are like, invisibility. And you're like, dude, you're a creep. Or, or, or super strength. You'll get it later. But I, I'm going to say this. Encouragement is the only superpower that causes other people to do powerful things. 
mean, we saw that basketball example, but let's look to Scripture. If it were not for the son of encouragement, Barnabas, if he didn't come alongside Saul and say, dude, he's changed, he's transformed. I know it's only been moments, but I mean, I be- I'm believing in this guy. I'm believing that God's going to do powerful things. And you know what? Even if he fails, I'm still going to love him and I'm going to support him. I'm going to come alongside him even greater than I did before. If it wasn't for Saul, if it wasn't for Barnabas, Paul or Saul would have never planted the 14 churches that he planted. He would have never wrote the nine epistles that he wrote that are all included in our Bible. If it wasn't for Barnabas, Saul would have never gone on those missionary journeys. And he would have never brought with him a young physician named Luke who ended up writing the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for Barnabas, he would have never gone with Paul on his fourth missionary journey and brought Barnabas's cousin, John Mark, who at one point, John Mark did a silly thing. For some reason, he, he abandoned Paul and he abandoned Barnabas on their journey and he went back home. I think he was homesick or maybe there was a girl back home and he just left the, the mission field. Paul was so frustrated with him, did not extend encouragement, even though he himself was an encouragement, but he got so clouded, he was frustrated at John Mark that he was, he was upset with him. They wanted to go on another missionary journey together, uh, their fifth missionary journey together, and Paul said this, no, we're not going to do it. They were so upset that Paul and Barnabas even parted ways. Barnabas was such an encourager that he even parted ways with Paul, saying, Paul, you're in the wrong. John Mark even though he failed, I'm still going to believe that there are great things in store for him. So Saul and Barnabas parted ways. But you know what was the result of that? Eventually, John, Mark, and Paul were restored because of Barnabas. Eventually, we see in 1 Timothy where he says explicitly, send John, Mark, because he is profitable for me in the ministry. But all of that happens because of the encouragement of Barnabas. And you know what resulted from that? exchange. Paul and and John Mark were reunited. John Mark went out to write the gospel of Mark. Luke, Mark, Acts, nine epistles in the New Testament, 14 churches. In fact, I would say we are recipients of the blessings of one man's encouragement. Don't you ever, ever shortchange the power of encouragement. It is the ability to speak life to a situation. Man, some of my favorite people, I love you all, but some of my favorite people are encouragers. When you're having a bad day and someone just being led by the Spirit can tell you exactly what you need to hear. Listen, I know when I mess up. You don't got to tell me. I, I get it. I know it. But when someone comes alongside you and says, man, that was, that was awesome. Or hey, when, when you did that, that was great. Or hey, when we need encouragers in the body of Christ. And the ones who are called to do it are sitting in these chairs. Again, encouragement is not something we just do. It is who we are called to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have extended to us the greatest example of encouragement and it's grace. If mercy is not getting what we deserve, then grace is defined as receiving what we didn't deserve. And if we were honest with ourselves this morning, we would understand that none of us have ever been deserving of of your grace. I don't care if we grew up in church, if church is all we've known, or if we've lived the worst life that we've ever could possibly live, done the most unspeakable things we could ever discuss, the fact remains that you have given us grace. And it wasn't a cheap grace. It cost you everything. It cost you your life. But because of the glory and the greatness of our God, Jesus, you took your life back and you resurrected and rose from the grave because death could not hold you down. And because you live, we can experience true life also. Friends, today, it would be remiss of us to not take this moment serious. 
Maybe you're saying, Pastor, I'm not an encourager. Maybe you would say that, that you do put everybody at a zero point and you make them perform in order to receive your encouragement. And I would say maybe that's because you have yet to receive the grace of God. I don't fault you in acting that way. I did it myself until I received the grace of God, until I made that declaration that I'm a, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. I need Jesus. I would say today, more than God wants you to increase an encouragement, more than he wants to create you to be an encourager, he wants to give you new life in Jesus. That that is his favorite thing to do. So I just want to take a moment in our service. If there is anybody in this place that would make that confession and say, you know what, Pastor, I, I want to know Jesus. I want to experience the encouragement of my heavenly Father that's your desire, would you just lift up your hand so I know who to pray for? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you see these hands. I pray, Lord, that you would bless these individuals who have made that confession, who've said, I, I, I want to turn from myself and I want to turn towards Christ and receive the greatest act of encouragement, grace that he has ever given that I could ever receive. But Father, I pray that all of us in this place would come to understand that encouragement is not what we do, it's who we are called to be. Help me, help us all. We love you, we worship you, we give you all the thanks, all the praise, and all God's people said, amen. Hey, if you're thankful for the encouragement of Jesus, would you give him some praise this morning? Thank you, Lord. We love you, God. Guys, thank you so much for coming. Man, speak encouraging words to someone this week. Do it frequently. Do it authentically. Don't wait. Encourage, 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 and you will overflow with thankfulness. Last thing I want to just encourage you to do is take one of these cards on the way out. They'll be handing them out. Take it with you. Pray about your Convoy of Hope one day offering that will be taken next week. Guys, I love you. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Take care. And that wraps up today's message, but we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast. You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.